What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Hi, everybody. I'm Kelly Evans, and here's what's ahead on The Exchange. Stress in the banks will lead to a recession in the months ahead. That's the call from our market guest today. But he's got some unique ways to find stocks with upside right now. And he's bullish on one region in particular that he thinks will drive upside. We've got the details ahead. Plus, the biggest standout with Meta's results might be just how much it beat on revenue guidance. We'll look at why with the stock up 14 percent now. And on the flip side, Shoemaker Crocs down by almost that much. A weak outlook partly to blame. The CEO joins us for a first on CNBC interview to explain. And we're in the final countdown to the 2023 CNBC stock draft. There's that music. Ten all-star teams picking their favorite stocks next hour. Seattle Seahawks wide receiver DK Metcalf making his stock draft debut this year. He'll join me live this hour with how he plans to take home the trophy. Let's get a check on markets first, though, and we're seeing some considerable upside, and it's broad-based as well. I'll circle back to that in a moment. The Dow up 336 at the highs. We're just off that, a 1% gain. The S&P back above 4,100 with a 1.3% rise, and the Nasdaq up almost 2% today. Now, Meta, the biggest gainer, driving some of these both S&P and Nasdaq gains today after that beat and revenue guidance well above estimates. This is up 15% right now after its initial 12% pop on results, and we'll show it in a second. The stock has nearly doubled this year, up almost 100% since Jan 1. Hasbro's up too. The toy makers double beat, helped by demand for Play-Doh and Peppa Pig. Parents can all grimace with me. Inventory still a little bit of a concern, though. The stock up 12.5%. And inventory is the story behind Caterpillar's drop today. The stock breaking below its 200-day moving average, as you can see right here. After that 2.3% drop, it's beat its margin strength, overshadowed by stubbornly, stubbornly high dealer inventory. It was nearly twice as high as expected, by the way. Now, keep in mind, as you look at declines like Caterpillar's, Microsoft and Meta are pretty much powering the major averages higher this week and this year. Here's the Russell 2000s. Keep an eye here. It's up two-thirds of a percent today. But even with today's gain, we're only 6% away from making new lows. Lack of breadth in the S&P as well. This is something that traders are carefully watching. And that brings us to our next discussion. A recession now looks inevitable after the bank stress we've seen. My next guest says there's one bright spot, though, that could help stocks outperform. Joining me is Alan Boomer. He's chief investment officer at Momentum Advisors. Alan, it's good to see you. And and you're still bullish on China. We haven't heard as much about that story lately. Welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me. I am optimistic about China. China's reopening. It reminds me of the United States circa 2021 when we saw just a, a rampant return to economic activity, and we're starting to see that in China. And I think your portfolio needs to reflect that because the U.S., you know, you mentioned it. It's almost inevitable that we're heading for a recession in the next 12 to 18 months. And so we might need to start looking for some growth outside of the United States. Let's talk about some of the stocks. I mean, my eyebrows went up when I saw that Alcoa is one of your picks. It's had a tough year so far. Absolutely. Yeah, Alcoa is really in the metals business. And when you think about China and you think about their power as a manufacturer and a producer, they really need to consume a lot of metals. And so Alcoa is really big in aluminum. 
China uses a, about half the aluminum that's produced and used in, in, in the world. And so as aluminum uh, gets used, as prices rise, we think Alcoa is really going to stand to benefit. For every 10% up move in, in, in aluminum prices, we expect that Alcoa's earnings are going to increase by about 20%. So they're really positively levered to that aluminum price and other, and other metal prices as well. Sure, although I guess, you know, there's plenty of people who say their biggest concern is not, you know, upside in aluminum. It's really more downside with commodities. Even today, the softs, the agricultural commodities, lumbers back at its lowest since 2020. You know, is it just possible that they're telling us there's really not going to be as much strength, broadly speaking, maybe even globally speaking, as we expected? Well, there's only one way to find out, right? We'll see what the future holds. But I will say the metals in general, a lot of these commodities in general are trading at a discount to the broad market. And so we, we like to buy things at a discount. You can buy these metal uh, producers at about a 20% discount to where other stocks are trading in the S&P 500. So I kind of raised this in the market check a moment ago. A lot of focus is on the fact, Alan, that just a couple of stocks, tech stocks, NVIDIA, the like, have really driven all the gains this year. You know, you strip them out and the S&P would be lower. The Russell, as we said, is kind of closer to making new lows than to making new highs. What does that tell you? Yeah, so I think it's it's rotation time, right? And and one of the rotations that we're doing is, you know, again, thinking about companies like Alibaba. Like, that's a, a tech name. It's levered to the Chinese consumer, a consumer that we know is being revitalized with the, the reopening of their economy. Um, you know, last year, you know, it was all about value. This year, it's been all about growth. And again, I think the, the ability for U.S. growth stocks to continue to outperform the way they have is becoming very limited. And that's why, again, we're looking at China as, again, just a reopening trade that we think that clients will benefit from and investors will benefit from. So just to be clear, for people who are piling into the likes of Meta and Microsoft and NVIDIA now saying, in a low-growth environment, I need growth, you don't think that's a smart thing to do? I won't say that. Like, like NVIDIA, like Microsoft, like these are companies that you should own for the long run, right? I just think that right now, you know, when I think about, you know, if I want to position myself for the next, I'm going to call it 12 months, I really want to be closer to, you know, an economy that is also got some growth potential ahead of it, right? In the U.S., you know, recession is, is the word of the day. Uh, economists are every day they're reducing the expectation for growth in the United States. In China, it's the opposite. Like the, the Chinese government has a 5% growth target. It's looking like 6% could be the number that they achieve this year. And so, again, you want to be where there will be growth. And I, I think a lot of the United States, the, the growth is already priced in. Yeah. Not to say we should sell out of those names, but, again, I do think there's better opportunities today. All right, Alibaba. I mentioned Alcoa, Bungie. Alan, thanks for your time today. It's good to see you. Great. Thank you. Alan Boomer with Momentum Advisors. Investors also hoping for some breakthroughs on the debt ceiling with House Speaker Kevin McCarthy touting his spending cuts on Squawk Box earlier today. Take a listen. The president not to negotiate is not what the American public wants, it's not how our government is designed, it's not what we've done every time before, whether it be a Republican or a Democrat. We believe in a responsible, sensible plan that puts us on a path, raises our debt ceiling, and actually makes our economy stronger. 
Although analysts aren't so sure, as New Edge Wealth Senior Portfolio Manager Ben Amons points out, the CBO is scoring this package favorably because it cuts spending by more than $4 trillion while raising revenue, while Moody says the bill will push up unemployment and lower growth, which could lower revenue. So let's debate. Joining me now is James Pethokoukas, Economic Policy Analyst at the American Enterprise Institute. And on set with me is Ben White, Chief Economic Correspondent at Politico. They're both CNBC contributors. Welcome to you both, Ben. Um, You know, I'm struggling for words because of the stock market rally today, <laughs> right. right? We all know this seems to be an intractable, unsolvable problem, right. and yet investors are kind of shrugging it off right now, although, as we know, CDS numbers and things like that have jumped. Right, yeah, we've seen some action in the credit default swaps and in some of the action in treasuries in general, but you're right, the market is not, at least the equity market, is not taking it at all seriously, this idea that we could once again get close to a debt limit crisis and default. I think they're underestimating those odds right now, given how far apart the two sides are. This proposal from House Speaker McCarthy is not going anywhere. The White House won't come anywhere close to uh, what they're calling for in terms of cuts and programs across the board. So we're nowhere. Uh, This may force the White House eventually to come to the table and start talks. And then we get to a conference and see what Senate Democrats are willing to accept All that sausage has to get made down the road and will, but it probably, and Jimmy may think differently, takes a market reaction to get that to happen, a forcing mechanism. Where is the public on this, Ben? Yeah, I don't think the public is focused on this particular issue. The public is very much uh, aware of the size of the national debt and worried about it. So political arguments about not raising the debt limit because of our debt are effective. Obviously, the debt limit really simply allows us to pay for money already appropriated by Congress and not default on our goods, but uh, on our uh, you know debt. But it is easy to sell to voters. We can't do this because our debt's so big. It's just a- absolutely nonsense. And Jimmy, maybe people would say, well, yeah. you know, if when are we going to do something about it then? Because no matter who's in Washington, it seems to just keep going higher. And then when interest rates start rising, it gets a little bit more scary to think about. Yeah, listen, I think the I mean, the ultimate, ultimate end game, if you're worried about the long term uh, deficit, I think it's going to it will take a market reaction for both sides to come together and really do something about deficit. I don't think that is where we are today. Uh, I don't think it is likely that the Biden administration will say, you know what? Uh, if we have some sort of technical default, people will blame the Republicans and we get this short term win. Great. I don't think that given that the president's going to be running for reelection, As you were just saying earlier, a lot of risk here of a recession. People now expecting it. The last thing this administration needs is an additional economic shock to make a recession more likely heading into elections. I I think they will de facto negotiate. I think there's going to be a deal at the end of the day. What, Jimmy, will that? So how does it, from the president's point of view, how does he come to the table and say, okay, I'm running for re-election. Everyone knows the debt ceiling is kind of a GOP thing. So if I I let us raise it with... what is the message here where what is the compromise that he's offering right. or the, the deal he's getting? Well, listen, it can't be the McCarthy plan. I mean, it's it's not going to be a plan that causes massive spending cuts. It's not going to be a plan that's going to undermine the Inflation Reduction Act, which is part of Biden's legacy. It's I'm not saying it's on a narrow path. You know, maybe it's something like uh, permitting reform, which would help Biden's, uh, would, which would help the Inflation Reduction Act, but also is deregulation. Republicans like it. Toss that in there. Some sort of technical budget things. It, it's not going to be a huge package, but it might just be enough. I just think ultimately it's not in anyone's interest for there to be a problem. It'd be a short, certainly a short-term uh, political blow for Republicans. 
And an economic, again, an, an economic shock is not what the Biden administration needs, not what the American public needs. Yeah. So I think, listen, it's not an insignificant odd that we have a problem here, but I just don't think it's still very likely. I, I mean, Ben, I'm getting excited because now we're talking about permitting reform. If that's the deal hey. we come to the table no. with, who <laughs> wouldn't be happy? Everybody would be thrilled. This could be the best year ever. Who, who does not get really excited about permitting reform and various nitty gritty? I know, excited. Jimmy, that you do, and we love you for it. And you're a policy wonk among uh, policy wonks and a gentleman. But uh, I would say this, and he's absolutely right. There will be a deal, I think, at the end of the day. It's going to take some market freak out. It's going to take a little give, maybe permitting reform, something else, some technical budget cuts. Uh, by Biden, the White House, and Democrats. Nothing close to what McCarthy is doing because they'll get destroyed on all of the stuff they're trying to cut. Uh, and they'll come to the table a couple of days before we have to get there. The problem is we're going to get there sooner than we think. Right, although you watch the receipts now and all of a sudden we're catching up a little bit, so maybe bit. it's late July or, or whatnot. So Still I guess soon. final question to you, Ben, is what is the language Biden's going to use to signal that he's coming to a deal on this so in a way that will be palatable to his base? Yeah, he's going to say when they get closer to that time, Look, I don't love some of these things. You probably won't love them either. Uh, it's in the interest of the U.S. economy to not flirt with default. I am uh, going to meet halfway my Republican colleagues and not allow the nation to be held hostage. You can write the speech, but the words. Are, are, they'll be there. Are we cutting spending as a result of this? I don't think so. Not yeah. in any major way, not in any systemic long-term way where you cut it, uh, discretionary spending for years, maybe slight cuts out of what we're currently spending in the current budget, but nothing structural, uh, the kind of reforms that would eventually deal with long-term debt deficit. That's not happening. Jimmy's shaking his head, too. All right, great. So uh, nothing's we're, we're going to raise it again. Nothing's going to change. Nothing's going to happen. This is at Washington. least we won't default. That's good. Hopefully. Uh, James Pethokoukas, Ben White. Thank you both today. Thank we you. appreciate it. Thank Coming up, Meta hitting new 52 week highs on revenue strength as the mega week for mega caps continues. But what about the rest of the market? We'll dig through the numbers and preview Amazon's report next. Plus three names and earnings exchange that are all having a nice start to the year, including a regional bank. We'll look at Intel, T-Mobile, and New York Community Bank. And as we go to break, let's get a look at markets near session highs. Dow's up 334. That's a 1% gain. Even the Russell participating, though, lagging again. NASDAQ up nearly 2% on Meta Strength. The 10-year at 351. The exchange is back after this. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones, from powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY, a big idea that inspired the world to invest differently and still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.
Welcome back to The Exchange. Here's a look at the tech results that have been powering the major averages this earnings season with Amazon on deck after the bell today. Microsoft's AI story impressed. Meta's efficiency and ad spending numbers came in strong. Those stocks ripping higher for the week. A little more mixed bag for Alphabet, still dealing with search headwinds and fears of losing the AI arms race. Now, later today, Amazon is out with its results. Its shares are up about 30 percent this year. Snap reports as well. And remember, that was the canary in the coal mine for digital ad spend a few quarters back. Both of these names are about 5 percent higher into these prints. Jason Helfstein is here. He's Managing Director of Internet Equity Research at Oppenheimer. I don't know, Jason. I don't like a rally. I've got First Republic, you know, scars from Monday, I guess. What do you think about Amazon? Yeah, I mean, Amazon, you definitely have investors kind of rallying the stock just on just the general mood, right? That, um, number one, maybe the ad market is better than people thought, and we've seen the bottom. Um, That cloud trends are maybe not as, as, as bad as people thought you had inline numbers from Microsoft, um, Google Cloud, you know, was was stable. I mean, not, not super strong, but stable. Um, and, you know, and then potentially after the kind of that GDP number you just got, maybe, you know, you get, you know, the Fed is almost done, which would be would be good in generally for these types of companies. So um, it, it's more of uh, Amazon has kind of been, I would argue, relatively out of favor and right. are investors afraid that they're going to miss it into the print tonight. Right, exactly. Um, let me kind of mention Snap in the same breath because there are the trends. I mean, some of the stuff that's going on with average revenue per user is not that encouraging, wouldn't you say? And yet, you know, why do you think people are still uh, excited? Um, Snap, there's definitely been um, a lot less interest from the buy side. Oh, you know, our work says kind of interest level from the buy side probably down half versus three months ago. Um, a good amount of the strain that you've seen in the stock had to do with you know, what happens to TikTok. Um, and probably more investors who were short the stock saying, hey, I don't want to be short the stock, um, you know, in, in front of more noise around Congress, around TikTok. Um, I, you know, look, I, if you talk to advertisers, there's not a lot of um, kind of momentum around Snap right now. It's really been TikTok and then Meta. And Meta is very specific. Like they fixed clearly a lot of the issues that were a headwind for them over the past year. Right. Um, so look, maybe it's just not as bad. Like the guidance implies you know, revenue slows down pretty dramatically relative to the fourth quarter. Maybe it doesn't slow as much. Um, maybe they basically tell you that, you know, th- they'll have stability and, and numbers go up from here. And we mm-hmm. know if numbers go up, stocks can trade up for a stock that's, you know, really out of favor right now. Quick question on Meta. I mean, rarely do we see a stock with a, such a strong pop, not only hold it, but sustain it into the next day. And obviously that's what they're doing now. I was really impressed that they're raising, you know, it's one thing to raise EPS and say, we're going to have this third round of cost cuts. It's another thing when your revenue guidance is way higher. What was driving that? And is it a unique situation or a read through? Yeah, on, on for the revenue side, um, you know, they, they, you know, they have fixed a lot of the issues coming out of the Apple privacy changes that that really is what it looks like um things that they've done internally things with machine learning um better figuring out what ads they should show you and then being able to measure your conversion Hmm. um getting advertisers to kind of ask them to just trust the machine to make the decisions they also highlighted china um direct to consumer sellers out of china sounded like really rebounded and and some of that may have just been without facebook as a or an instagram as an advertising outlet, um, they just couldn't find other ways to reach the consumer. And when Facebook fixed that or Meta fixed that, those sellers came back on top of shipping costs coming down and China reopening. So 
you, you definitely had a lot of, I will call, meta-specific factors that, that drove the revenue and, and I think the outlook. That's really interesting because if it's true, it speaks to their ability to kind of have that differentiated strength, maybe relative to some of the smaller players. And I can hear Alan Boomer smiling as you mentioned China as well. Jason, we'll leave it there. Look forward to Thank the you. print. Jason Helfstein. Coming up, remember when all those mansions in Greenwich were sitting empty? How times have changed for luxury real estate. The Hamptons housing market hitting a couple of major milestones. We've got the details next. Plus, despite this strong market, Crocs down nearly 20% today after weaker-than-expected guidance. Worst day since March 2020. The CEO joins us to break down the quarter. That's ahead on The Exchange. Stay with us. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture-proof of delivery, package-less and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Welcome back to The Exchange. Home prices in the Hamptons have been red hot lately, hitting some new records, in fact. But sales are at their lowest levels since 2000. I feel like I'm going to fall into the pool. Uh, Robert Frank is here to explain. Hi, Robert. That would be good to watch, Kelly. The broker is <laughs> saying there are at least two buyers for every seller in the Hamptons. and Buyers are paying up. Prices in the Hamptons hitting an all-time record in the first quarter with the average sale price now over $3 million. That's $1 million more than the average sale price right now in Manhattan. That's the largest spread ever between those two markets. Brokers say demand from wealthy buyers remains strong, especially at the very high end. Bidding wars for luxury properties were at or near all-time records, and the share of deals done for $10 million or more also hit all-time highs. The problem here is a shortage of trophy beach homes for sale. There's the high-class problem. Inventory is less than half what it was pre-COVID. Brokers say the properties that do come on the market are, well, largely overpriced. Now, with the rental market strong, they don't expect a lot more homes to come up for sale. So prices will be strong and sales weak this summer. But if you're looking, one listing that just came on the market, you might recognize from the show Succession, this modern beachfront home in Wainscott, was featured in season three. It's two and a half acres, 11,000 square feet with six bedroom, 10 baths, heated infinity pool, 230 feet of beachfront. And Kelly, the price tag, including that pool, is $55 million. So what's the land situation? If you know How, how many parcels are available at what cost? I mean, lumber is at a three-year low right now. So if we buy some land, we get some cheap lumber, Robert, we throw a house together, this has got to be a great time. Yeah, I mean, that's an arbitrage that I think we're going to start seeing around the country as these prices go up. The problem in the Hamptons, especially in the sort of prime oceanfront, there's not much land for sale. There is, though, to your point, quite a bit of construction going on. And so brokers are hoping that construction can finish quickly, maybe some of it this summer, maybe in the fall. And that will perhaps jumpstart at least some sales. All right. So different from uh, several years back. Uh, Robert, thank you so much, our Robert Frank. Let's get to Leslie Picker now. Welcome back, Leslie, for a CNBC News update. Thank you so much, Kelly. Here is your CNBC News update at this hour. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken and Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro 
Alejandro Mayorkas releasing a new migration management plan to ease concerns about a surge of illegal immigration. The plan calls for regional processing centers throughout Latin America to help slow down what is expected to be tens of thousands of new asylum seekers who are waiting for the pandemic-era Title 42 rule to end. The president of South Korea addressing the joint session of Congress today. He told lawmakers that Korea-U.S.-Japan trilateral security cooperation needs to be sped up to counter increasing North Korean nuclear threats. This comes after he and President Biden reached an agreement on Wednesday to counter nuclear blackmail from Kim Jong-un. And former professional skateboarder and TV personality Bam Majira was released on bond after being arraigned on assault charges in Pennsylvania. Majira uh, turned himself in this morning and his preliminary hearing is now set for May 27th in Chester County. Kelly, back over to you. Leslie, thank you very much, Leslie Picker. Coming up, T-Mobile is less than 3% from its 52-week highs, while Intel is nearly 40% below that mark. Can today's results help the chipmaker turn things around when it faces some pretty strong headwinds? We'll debate it next in Earnings Exchange. Welcome back. Today is the busiest day of earnings season. Let's take a look at a couple more names on deck after the bell. We've got notable ones like Intel and T-Mobile and New York Community Bank. It bought a significant chunk of Signature Bank after its collapse and it reports tomorrow morning. To preview all of them, well, I'll get to that in a second. First, let's run through Intel with the stock up about 11% year to date. Still down about 35% over the past year, though, as chipmakers struggle. We saw Samsung with a weak report this morning. And we've got falling PC demand and supply chain and inventory issues. So investors are looking for an update on cost-cutting measures and its ongoing turnaround plan. Maybe any more info on Chips Act subsidies, too. As I mentioned, joining me for these trades is Danielle Shea. She is Simpler Trading VP of Options. Uh, it's great to have you here, Danielle. Very busy day. What, uh, what do you do with Intel? So when you look at Intel, Intel is a relative strength loser. And the fact of the matter is that even though they've been regularly beating earnings 11 out of 12 times out of the last 12 quarters, they've still continued to trade lower. And so when you look at this and you look at the fact that we have EPS estimates that are also in a downward trend, plus the weekly chart pattern that's in a bearish trend, you know, for me, even if they do happen to trade slightly higher on earnings, which I think is improbable, I think it's um, a bearish trade here. So when I'm looking at downside targets, I have about $25 for my downside target with overhead resistance at 30. So you could either you know, short it on a move up into 30 or on the break of 28. All right. I, yeah, I can't say I'm terribly surprised, but I'm very curious what you'll make of the next one, which is T-Mobile. The shares are up 16 percent for the year as communication services is the best performing sector in 2023 so far. Last quarter, they had record subscriber growth. They were in the news last month after reaching that agreement to acquire Ryan Reynolds Mint Mobile, which that deal may be in jeopardy now. Who knows? Uh, so T-Mobile, Danielle, I mean, this one, actually, we just saw a notable, notable analyst downgrade at Moffitt Nathanson in the past couple of months. Do you like the stock here? I do like the stock. I think it's a great relative strength winner. I love the long-term weekly trend. They did really well throughout the pandemic, but they've continued to do well after the fact. And when you look at earnings, you know, they, they've continued to beat estimates and they've had really positive moves to the upsides. There's been a few quarters where they've traded lower post earnings, but only about by about 1%. Um, when you're looking at the stock overall, we are up against some resistance at that 150 price point, but it has about a $6 expected move over earnings. 
on earnings. And so when you look at my overhead targets, I have about a 160, 165 price target on this stock. So, you know, I think if we can get a positive move from earnings, uh, which I think is highly likely, then we could break that overhead resistance and trade on upwards into that $165 price target. All right. So you like it. And the, the last one's a curveball. So this could get uh, get interesting as well. It's New York Community Bank. They're out before the bell tomorrow. We're watching for net interest income and deposits. Remember, New York Community Bank acquired a significant chunk of Signature Bank after its failure last month. Is this a stock? And you can broaden it out to the regional banks more broadly, Danielle, if you want. But what do you think of their behavior here? So when you're looking at this stock and any of the bank stocks, I mean, obviously, you know, you have that big bank crisis issue where, I mean, hey, if they come out and then they say that they've been having issues with deposits, this thing could tank just like FRC did the other day. So I think it's a a big issue when you're looking at that. But overall, I mean, even ignoring the bank crisis, you can look at the longer term trend on this stock. Over the course of the last year and a half, I mean, this thing has already been in a downtrend and you're up against resistance. So even if they don't have an issue as it relates to the bank crisis and deposits, I still think that it's a longer term short because of the overall trend. All right. And it's $9 a share today, uh, we should point out as well. Danielle, before you go, Amazon is such a biggie after the bell. And maybe I can even throw Snap in there, too. But I, I mean, give us the take. These stocks are up 5 6% into this print. Um, what do you think about there, and especially Amazon's uh, prospects here? So, you know, when you look at Amazon and you particularly compare that to the way that the market has reacted to Microsoft and Meta so far, I mean, what we're seeing this earning season is that we knew that momentum was going to be slowing down. That was expected and earnings were expected to be it, earnings were expected to be feared, right? And so when we had these results come out and they weren't as bad as feared and we're seeing that, yes, you know, we know momentum's slowing. It's not a big story. We're seeing these stocks rally. And so I think that's the case with Amazon as well. You know, I actually really like Amazon stock here. Hmm. I think that after the split and after the fall, Uh, that occurred over the course of the last year Um, on a technical basis on the weekly chart it's really starting to shift higher and we're seeing buyers come in so i think that if we can get a report from amazon that's better than feared it doesn't have to be amazing it just needs to be better than feared and we could break up above the january high i think with that we could really see some upside momentum in amazon stock so with this one i am buying this stock here um, especially in the kids accounts because you know i think it's a great long-term play. That is fascinating. (laughs) Danielle, thank you so much today. We appreciate it. Thank you. Danielle Shea with Simpler Options. Still ahead, Crocs going the other way today, down almost 20%, and that's despite beating on both the top and bottom line, but it had weak second quarter guidance. We'll talk to the CEO about that coming up. But first, we're minutes away from the 2023 stock draft. It starts at 2 p.m. Eastern, and we're going to talk to this guy, captain of Team Own Not Loan, Seattle Seahawks Pro Bowl wide receiver DK Metcalf. He's up next. The exchange is back in just a minute. Welcome back, everybody. We're just moments away from the annual CNBC stock draft. It's on draft day, but it's for stocks. There's the Rutgers cheerleaders. Welcome, ladies. Each team selects a portfolio from a mix of 60 stocks and some assets like oil and gold, too. But only one team can come out on top. Let's get ready for the action with Seattle Seahawks wide receiver DK Metcalf. His stock draft team is own, not loan. And he's got the fifth pick today. DK, welcome. It's a pleasure to have you here at CNBC. Yes, ma'am. Pleasure to be here. Tell me about Own Not Loan. Why is that your team name? 
Um, I mean, um, I made my first few mistakes of uh, being lent money um, or loaning other people money or paying for their mortgage or not making the best financial decisions um, until I, me and my financial advisor sat down and he had a serious talk with me and uh, said the goal is to own, not loan people money. So uh, that's pretty much where the team name came from. Have you guys picked any stocks in the past or is this going to be new for you? No, man, this is going to be fairly new for me. Um, I'm still learning along the way. So uh, just excited to dive into this uh, this new realm of, of uh, business and uh, financial leadership. So when you look at it, were there a couple that you thought in your head, I want to buy? Or do you kind of outsource it to him and just uh, kind of give your feedback on it? Give us a little glimpse into what your process is here today. Um, well, this was a, a pretty... Uh, I would say 75, 25 uh, team split uh, where he did uh, most of the heavy lifting. But, um, you know, my two cents were added and, um, you know, he, he helped me along the way um, and wrote down a few notes uh, about a, a few uh, stocks that we're looking into. So, I mean, I don't want you to maybe you can get specific. Tell me about your biggest money mistake. I mean, you mentioned broadly speaking the issues, but is there kind of one or two that really stand out? Um, yes. Uh, well, before I even owned a piece of property, I had. Um, owned up my own car. And, uh, you know, as a lot of people know, that's not the way to go. Um, you know, if your um, NFL career is not the longest. So um, just basically getting rid of the, the old mindset that I used to have and um, this new mindset of, of forward thinking and, and long term thinking instead of just in the moment by What about other NFL people or pro athletes who you look to as kind of setting the tone for what you want to do? I mean, how often do people talk about it or do you, I mean, do you reach out to them or do you have people kind of coming to you to get involved with things? I'm just curious. Um, I would say it's a little bit of both, but uh, people that I really look up to um, who've done it well on and off uh, the court or field, um, Shaquille O'Neal is one that really sticks out to me. Uh, LeBron James, um, just people who've built an enterprise or, or a brand um, that's very sustainable and that's going to last them, um, you know, well after their playing career. Yeah, absolutely. So you're one of the best sprinters, one of the best football players in the country. DK, can you handle it if you don't come away with this trophy next year? Oh, no, I'll definitely be back uh, the following year if I if I win or lose. So um, I'm very competitive in that aspect. So this is this is going to be pretty fun for me. Who do you think your biggest competition is going to be? We've got a bunch of athletes out there today. Oh, for sure. Uh, I'm not knocking anybody but or looking past anybody, but uh, we can only get in our own way, me and me and my partner, Joe. So um, the only, only competition is ourselves. Do you ever have a goal of being an owner, whether it's of a team? I mean, since own, not loan, so team owner, you know, franchise owner, real estate. I mean, how far do, do your thoughts extend? Oh, of course. Um, one of my biggest goals is to own a, a franchise or a sports uh, team one day. Um, and, and I think that's go that goal is very attainable. Um, with the path that I'm headed uh, down. Absolutely. Well, it's a pleasure that you're uh, here to join us. Do you want to tell us what stock you're most big on right now, or is that going to be a secret? Oh, yeah, I, I can definitely tell you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> like, I, as he checks his notes. No, I'm kidding. Right. DK, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us today. I can't imagine how busy on a day like this. We appreciate you taking the time, and um, we look forward to seeing you soon. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. DK Metcalf joining us from the Seattle Seahawks. Still ahead on the heels of strong results. We'll talk to Crocs CEO Andrew Reese. I should have asked DK about Crocs. Uh, the state of spending, why they're betting big on sandals. We'll delve into that next with the market near session highs. Dow's up almost 400 points. And check out another big earnings mover today. Helen of Troy up 21%, having their best day since 2001 after a big earnings beat and strong guidance. They outlined a CEO succession plan and, of course, cost-cutting measures. The exchange is back after this, 10 minutes away or so. 
about seven, about 10, I don't know, whatever you want to call it. We're close to the 2023 CNBC stock draft. Stay with us here on CNBC. Welcome back to The Exchange. Shares of Crocs are down 18% today despite strong results. The street fixating on its weak second quarter guidance. But the stock, remember, was a pandemic darling, up more than 400% over the past three years. And joining me now in a first on CNBC interview is Andrew Reese. He's the CEO of Crocs. Andrew, welcome. It's good to see you again. Thank you, Kelly. Nice to be here. Let's start with the the positive. What What went well in the quarter and contributed to the beat that you experienced? Yeah, look, we had a really strong quarter, right? So uh, revenues were up 36%. Profit was was way above what we had indicated it would be our profit expectations. That was due to slightly gro- higher gross margin, but also, um, uh, you know, SG&A control. And, uh, and obviously, you know, in the quarter, in the first quarter, we had a partial year of a partial uh, year of a uh, quarter of Hey Dude from the year before. We purchased Hey Dude uh, in last year on, on uh, February 17th. And so that gives an outsized revenue growth. But still, if you put it on a pro forma basis, our revenue is growth was exceptional. So uh, what I think we can take away from that is our brands are performing really well. The consumers have high demand for our brands. We can see that on a global basis. And some of our focus categories are looking to drive growth and looking to drive attract new customers such as sandals and also some of the focus we put on Asia uh, is really working well. Yeah, really interesting stuff there on China and, and other I want to get to. But let's talk about the guidance because the way that I was looking at the numbers, it looks like revenue guidance was a little soft, but earnings guidance was very light. And so are there higher costs in the business? Is it the cost of that hey dude acquisition? What's going on on the cost front? Yeah. So I think I think investors are definitely focused on on Q2 guidance, right? But but let me first start. What we actually did was we raised the four-year guidance, right? We're going to grow uh, double digits, and we raised the growth rate that we anticipate for the year. We also raised uh, our profit expectations in terms of we had previously provided 26% profit. We said we're going to be between 26 and 27%. And if we look at the full year, we're going to grow double digits. We're going to have incredible pro- levels of profitability. We're going to have very strong cash flow. We'll further improve our balance sheet by paying down debt. And so I think it's, an, it's a great picture. I think what investors are focusing on is that Q2. And, and really what's going on in Q2, it's not a softening of trajectory of our brands. It's really about compares to last year and pipeline fill for Hey Dude. So if we focus on last year for a second in Q2, because of the Vietnam factory closures in 21, uh, we had light shipments for wholesale in Q1, and a lot of that pushed to Q2. Mm-hmm. So we're up against that from a Crocs perspective. Sure. And from a Hey Dude perspective, we're up against pipeline fill, where we shipped a lot of brand new customers, very large amounts of product to, to stock their entire chains, mm-hmm. uh, which was hugely productive for the broader distribution of Hey Dude. But it's super hard to comp that this year. So yeah. it looks like we're slowing down dramatically. But if we focus on consumer takeaway, it's not slowing down at all. So I think that's what the street is getting a little bit sideways on. Um, And in terms of profitability, look, I think uh, last year we had a 30% EBIT margin in Q2. Um, We're obviously not going to comp that. 
that was due to uh, really buying Hey Dude and being able to ship a lot of product very quickly, but we hadn't had the time to build the infrastructure, which we knew we needed to build within Hey Dude. And frankly, that infrastructure is what's going to allow us to grow that brand, you know, hugely over the next period of years. So uh, I think it's a little bit of an overreaction. Um, you know, we feel super confident about our year and super confident about the long-term trajectory for our company and for our brands. So is it fair to say that you have any concern about higher expenses? You know, when we look, if there's one stock theme this year, it's that efficiency is being rewarded. And what would yes. your message be to investors who are saying, OK, we like the trends, we like the launches, we've got a lot of good things going. But, you know, how do you become literally more efficient? What's on the table? What's not on the table? Yeah. So uh, I have no concerns about our, our expense base. Right. So we, we will have more expenses in Q2 than we had last year. But I think those appropriate due to our growth expectations for the brand this year and the brands in the future. Um, I would point out that uh, our level of profitability between 26 and 20 percent, 27 percent EBIT margins are, are extraordinary in our industry. There is nobody that's even close. Uh, if you look at all the public companies that trade, I don't want to call them out specifically, um, but there's nobody's even close. So the level of efficiency we have in terms of profitability and cash flow generation uh, it, for this company is extraordinary. So um, I feel very confident about that. All right. You have strength in China, you, France. I mean, are Crocs going to be the new Burks if you get this sandal launch uh, going right? Yeah, I think, uh, well, we're obviously already three times the size of Burks, right? So I know Burks <laughs> is a public company, a private company, and most people don't know how big it is, but I can tell you um, that we're 3x the size of Birkenstock. So, you know, and, and, and globally distributed. So, uh, yeah, the sandal business is super important for us. We've got a very strong franchising clogs. That's what you know us for. That's what every consumer, uh, when you show them the, uh, the classic clog, thinks about Crocs. Uh, but the, th the saddle business is a $30 billion global business on an annual basis. Yeah. You know, we think we can penetrate that very significantly and build incremental business there. And we've been working on that for a couple of years, but 65% growth in sandals in Q1, 45% growth over the last three quarters, I think puts us, you know, firmly on that trajectory. Well, you're here at an apropos day. It's bring your kids to work day. And we found out the Crocs are actually banned at some of their schools because they're so popular. You know, they say, you know, you wear them on the playground. We can't have you getting hurt, you know, and kids wear them to basketball games so that they can keep their basketball shoes pristine and change no. into them. I mean, that's a it's a good when you get banned, you know, you're doing something right. Yeah, the kids, like we, like, we love kids. We have a ton of kids around here today. Uh, they're very welcome. Uh, they're uh, in our product areas. They're working with our shoe designers. They're having the, the day of their life, I can guarantee. <laughs> um, but, uh, yes, if we can get kids bought into the comfort, the easy on and off, and all the great styles and the gibbets that we can deliver to them, you know, hopefully we're getting, you know, consumers that can grow with us for years to come. So right. it's an, an incredibly important foundation. Andrew Reese, thanks for joining us on a tough day for the stock. Uh, defending your plans, though, we very much appreciate it. Thank you, Kelly. Andrew Reese, the CEO of Crocs. Let's get a check on the market, which is hitting fresh session highs of 435 points. And that's the underperformer. The Dow is with a 1.3% gain. S&P is up 1.6%. NASDAQ up 2.2% as Meta continues to lead the way with almost a 15% gain post earnings. That does it for The Exchange, everybody. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day. Same time, same place. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 